Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you once more that we can come together, that by your Spirit you have called us to worship in your presence, that by your Spirit you have renewed our hearts and our minds, that you have renewed our wills. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us once more, plant your word deep within us, and guide us to know the work that you are doing in our midst. Guide us to know and to see how you are changing us, that we might more and more deeply know the blessing of your presence continually in our lives. All of this we do ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that C.S. Lewis wrote a sci-fi trilogy? It's true, he did. He wrote a series of three books that many call the Space Trilogy, but others call the Ransom Trilogy. It's about a man named Ransom who, in the first two books, gets taken away to other worlds. And in the third book, he stays on Earth. And so it's not exactly happening in space. It's happening on planets around us. But in the second one, in the second book called Paralandra, Ransom is sent to the planet Paralandra, and it's a paradise. It is an Edenic-like world, a world where the fall has not yet occurred. And he is sent to help the Eve of that world. And in one scene after he meets her, he is attempting to explain the problems that exist on Earth that don't yet exist on Paralandra that don't have to exist on Paralandra. And so he's attempting to explain evil. And so he realizes something from his own experience being on Paralandra. When he first got there, he encountered wonderful fruit that he partook of, this one kind of gourd-like fruit that he ate. And when he finished, he was full. He was satisfied, but he yearned to eat another. But he heard a voice in his mind that said, accept what you've received. Don't seek after more. And then again, as he was wandering along on one of the islands of Paralander, he encountered these bubble trees with these bubbles that were full of liquid. And he didn't quite understand what they were, but he stepped under one and he touched it. And all of a sudden it just burst upon him and let all this water out on him. And it refreshed him so greatly that he felt like he was a new person. And again, he had this thought of, oh, if only I could experience that again. That was so wonderful. But that voice again said, Accept what you have received. And so he begins to explain evil to her by asking her simply this question, have you ever searched out a particular fruit, but yet were given a different one? And she says, yes, yes, of course I've had that experience. But then he asks her, have you ever clung to the desire for that first fruit despite what was given to you? She responds with, no, that would be wrong. And he tells her that that is what Adam and Eve have essentially done by following the ruling angel of earth who continues to cling, who continues to hang on to that which he wanted instead of that which was given. And she quickly recognizes and says that clinging to a good not given would make that good not be a good at all. To cling to a good not given is to make that good not be a good at all. And Ransom says, yes, it has ceased, and still he clings 
still he hangs on to that thing that he wanted. And I think Lewis here gives us an amazing picture of the very status of human nature that we cling to the good that we want instead of the good that has been given to us. We want what we want so much that we will ignore the good that's given. We will ignore the moment that we are in because our thoughts are so locked and clinging to that that our desires want. We resist that which is gifted to us. I think it's important for us to kind of have that thought in mind as we consider the meaning of the Beatitudes today. That our status as humans is wanting to cling to that that we want but not to receive that which God actually gives. That we are called to receive the goodness of the Father in all circumstances. But we don't. We resist. We want something else. We want what we consider good, not what God sees fit to give to us. But there has been one who always received the goodness of the Father. And that one is Jesus. Jesus is the one who always receives the goodness of the Father, no matter the circumstance. And because Jesus has done this, we too can receive the goodness of our Father in heaven, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where we are, because Jesus has accomplished this, because he has walked this life of receiving God's goodness for himself, we too can now in Christ receive that goodness. No matter our circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves, we are freed to receive from God his goodness. And to walk through this and to understand it, let us step back into the Beatitudes. Let us consider what Jesus even means by saying blessed. It's easy for us to look at these Ten Commandments, or these Ten Commandments, these Beatitudes. It's easy to look at these Beatitudes and to remember all the things we've been taught. I mean, I have a, I've run across an entire series of books called the B-attitudes, that these are attitudes that you should have in order to be who God wants you to be. Or that this is a step-by-step program toward holiness, that you move from one to the other, to the next, to the other one, to grow in your holiness. But that's not what Jesus is doing for us here today because that's not how blessing works. Blessing doesn't come to us because we have a certain kind of attitude or because we are following a 10-point plan to sanctification. No, blessedness in and of itself to be blessed is to be in God's gracious presence. And so when Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not saying these people who are poor in spirit have earned God's blessing. No, he's just simply saying they are blessed by God in their poorness in spirit. But to more fully understand that, Let's think about that word blessed more deeply. That word, after all, our New Testament is written in Greek, in the Greek initially had to do with happiness with regard to one's power and authority. In Greek usage, the gods were considered blessed because of their very power. They were above humans, and they could do what they wanted, and so in that sense, they were blessed. They had strength, they had power, they had wealth, they had authority over everything else. They could intervene in human affairs and correct humanity when they saw fit. But they also had the power to just simply do whatever they wanted amongst themselves. They had no moral constraints. And so they were considered blessed by the writers in Greek literature. 
When it came to humans, humans could be considered blessed when they had wealth, when they had prosperity. Blessedness in that case meant that one could take care of oneself. One had authority over one's life, no matter what circumstances they found themselves in. They could control their circumstances. They could control their very life. And so again, it comes back to power and authority. To be blessed as a human in Greek literature was to be one who had the means of being ready no matter the circumstances by one's own power and abilities. That one could take care of oneself. One needed no outside help. So the one who is blessed is the one who has full authority over one's own life. But that's not how Scripture understands blessing, is it? In Scripture, the Hebrew for blessed typically comes in a context of being in God's presence, of being brought into his presence by his grace. And so we hear in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but in the ways of the Lord. That man is blessed. He is doing what God has called him to do, and so he lives in God's presence by grace. And again, in Psalm 32, the psalmist says, David says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessedness there is receiving God's grace. Blessedness there is being removed from who you are in yourself and placed into God's presence. Stripped of yourself, but given a new life. Given a new way of being. Given a new way of living. That blessedness is not about your authority. It's not about your control. But it's about giving up control to God. That when you are living in the side of God's blessedness, when you are receiving that blessing of God, you are letting go of your control. You're letting go of your authority, your power, your desires to receive what God is giving, to receive his presence, to receive his favor, to receive his strength, to receive his power in your life, to be changed and to be renewed in every way. And so Jesus and all of Scripture rejects that Greek concept of you absorbing all the power and authority to control your life and flips it on its head to recognize that it is God's control and authority that brings blessing, not my abilities. God's power and authority brings peace, brings well-being, brings goodness into my life. And I'm going to receive that which God gives, not cling to what I want, as Satan has done, as we so often do. We're not go or we are not called to cling to what we want, but to cling to what God is giving to us. To cling to His grace. To cling to what He has called us into. And so we give up control and recognize Yahweh's control. Because He is always in control of all things. Thus, one who trusts in Yahweh is living in the blessedness. He's living in these blessings that Jesus mentions here in the Beatitudes. Because that one has given up control in order to be in Yahweh's presence. He's given up control for the sake of Yahweh's presence. I no longer make myself the center of life. But Yahweh and his ways become the center of what I am doing. And when I begin doing that, I don't earn the blessing. I enter into an existing blessing. I enter into a place where God is already active, giving himself to his people. 
And so in these Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger, etc. He's not saying do this and receive blessing. But in the midst of being these very things, you are living in God's blessing. As I said, he's not giving us a step-by-step -step program of how to become holy or how to become blessed. He doesn't say do these things and you'll be blessed. He's saying that your blessedness is in the midst of those things in your life. The ones who are actually blessed are the ones who are in these conditions because God is there with them and they are trusting God, that they live in the midst of those conditions because they know that God is at work, that God is meeting them there, and that he is blessing them, that he is giving his very presence to them. So that's the first thing I want us to remember about these Beatitudes, that blessing is in a sense a state of being. It's a place before Yahweh to be in his presence, not a step-by-step -step program to become holy, not a step-by-step -step program to be blessed. But nonetheless, I think it's good that as we look at the big picture that this is a package deal, that if you're blessed as one who is poor in spirit, then you're also blessed as a peacemaker. For the poor in spirit become peacemakers. The poor in spirit are those who mourn. The meek are ones who hunger for righteousness. The pure in heart are ones who are merciful. It is all of these things is the Christian life. It's like the fruit of the spirit. We tend to think of the fruits of the spirit. We think of them as individual things that you can grow, that you can develop better in. But it's the fruit, singular, the singular fruit of the Spirit, that goodness, that self-control, all of those things are one fruit that grow in you. And we can speak of them individually, we can speak of them in distinction, but not in separation. For to have one is to have all of them. And to have all of them is to have each individually as part of your Christian life. And that is much the same with these Beatitudes. To have one is to have all of them. And so it's good to look at what each one is so that you can know what is growing in your life, so that you can know what is happening in your life, so that you can know where God's blessing is and how to rest better in God's blessing. So just for a brief look at these, the poor in spirit, Jesus says, are blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, that word poor is those who are utterly destitute in themselves. They have no wealth. They have nothing to fall back upon. They have no goods to depend upon. The poor in spirit are those who lack everything. But Jesus says they are blessed for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. They will receive the kingdom of God. They will be always in God's presence. Those who mourn, we understand what mourning is. Mourning is sadness. It is grief over anything happening in your life, over the hardships, over the bad things that come into your life. And Jesus says, they are blessed for they shall receive comfort. They will receive peace. They will receive restoration. They will receive God's very presence to guide them each day. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. We heard that in our psalm today. The meek are those who trust in God. And remember this word meek is the very way that Jesus describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. Gentle and meek are the same word in Greek. 
So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek. I am lowly of heart. It's the same word. Jesus is a gentle man. He is full of strength, but yet he applies it gently upon us. He brings it to us in a gentle, gentle manner, in a gentle fashion that we might be won over, that we might be lifted out of where we are. He doesn't just come and grab us and yank us up. He works into us and lifts us out of where we are. We think of the meek as those who just get stepped on and trampled upon, but that's not who Jesus is. He has the strength he needs, and yet he hides that strength. He withholds his strength in order to accomplish his Father's will, and that is the meek one. The meek one is the one who has strength, but yet withholds that strength in order to do what the Father has called him to do. Meekness is a gentle strength that depends upon the will of God and acts in accordance with that will. Commentator Chad Bird defines it as being God-dependent, knowing that God is our strength, that God is our confidence. To have a humble authority that stands in opposition to arrogant power. Meekness stands against arrogant power by walking with humble authority, and that is who Christ is. Again, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to pursue the paths of God. And those who are pursuing the paths of God will discover satisfaction. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is that steadfast love of God, His covenant faithfulness toward those who have broken His covenant. And so those who have received mercy are the ones who are merciful. And the ones who are merciful in their lives shall continually receive an abundance of God's steadfast love. His chesed in the Hebrew. That faithfulness that is always there for us, no matter the circumstance. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart is one that focuses toward God, whose focus is on God alone, especially with regard to our worship. The pure in heart are the ones who look toward Christ. They look toward Jesus and they look toward the Father and they worship the Father. They cry out in praise of the good deeds and the good works that he has accomplished. They follow after him in their lives. And then Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers are the ones who bring the well-being of God into our lives. They're the ones who remind us of the work that Christ has done on our behalf, who remind us that Christ is at work renewing us, bringing peace with God to us. Those peacemakers shall be called the sons of God. They're blessed in the midst of their reminding us of the well-being of the shalom presence of God that makes all things good. And lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the sake of God and his work. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, just like the poor in spirit. All of these are receiving the kingdom of heaven through God's blessing. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are those who cling to Jesus no matter what. In all circumstances are directing our eyes and directing the world's eyes toward Jesus seeing the work that he has accomplished for our forgiveness, to bring us peace, to bring us mercy, to bring us righteousness. 
to bring us an inheritance that we cannot imagine. And so blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Each of these are a facet of our Christian life. It's like the Christian life is a diamond that we hold up and we can look at different parts of it. But it's all one diamond that all goes together. And so Jesus can speak of these things individually, distinctly from one another, but he doesn't separate them for they are all a place of blessing. Each of these areas is where God is blessing us. And thus each of these areas is the Christian life. That we are all poor in spirit. We are all who mourn. We are all meek. We are all ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are all ones who are to be merciful. God is at work in us to bring these things out in us, to bring this new life out in us. And as we live in that life, as we live in our union with Christ, we know that blessing of God. We know his blessed presence. And so these work together. They go together. But they're not just a description of the Christian life. Even more, they are a description of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these beatitudes. He is the one who perfectly does these things, who has perfectly received God's blessing for us. Jesus is the one who is truly poor in spirit. He is the one who truly mourns. He is the one who is truly meek. He is the one who has truly hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He is the one who has been truly merciful on our behalf. He is the one who is truly pure in heart, who looks upon the Father. He is the one who is truly the peacemaker, for he establishes peace for us before the Father. And he is the one who has been truly persecuted for righteousness' sake, for he has died upon the cross for us to remove our sin, to take our sin away, and thus he fulfills everything that these beatitudes are directing our eyes toward. He walked the perfect life on our behalf and fulfilled these beatitudes. And thus he can speak them to us. He can call us into them. For in calling us into them, he is calling us into union with the work he has accomplished for us. That he has united himself to us to bring these into us. To bring these actions into our lives to bring these changes into our lives and he begins doing that in our baptisms that as we are brought into baptism we are brought into union with christ as the spirit is given and poured out upon us to renew us and to begin changing us to apply the forgiveness of god into our hearts and our lives that we would then walk this path that god has set before us that we would turn from that which we cling to and cling to that which God is giving to us, which is his blessing, that he is blessing us with who he is in himself. As we heard in our collect today, O oh God, you know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers, and because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. We are in the midst of many grave dangers, and Ultimately, the frailty of our nature creates those many grave dangers in so many ways. But our frail nature disables us from standing upright. It leads us away from God. It leads us to cling to that which he has not given. It leads us to resist that which he has given. And so we can't stand upright before God. But thanks be to God. He has sent Christ on our behalf to undo that within us to straighten out that bentness in us by renewing our hearts and giving us strength and giving us his protection 
so that we would be carried through those temptations to cling to that which has not been given, to cling to that which we desire, and to instead turn and cling to what God is giving to us. We are called to cling to God Himself, to cling to Jesus, to cling to that good, and to not look for a previous good, to not look to that which God has not given us in this moment. We are called to walk the path He has placed us on. And when we begin walking on that path, when we begin letting go and receiving God's strength, receiving His blessing, we will be enabled to continue receiving the good gifts of God in the midst of what we don't understand. Because we know Jesus has fulfilled all things for us. That we can begin experiencing the blessing of God in poorness, in mourning, in meekness, in hungering, in mercifulness, in pureness. And being a peacemaker and being persecuted, we can find the blessing of God there and discover it more fully because Jesus has united himself to us. And he begins teaching us to look from that temptation of clinging to that which we don't have and to receive that which has been given, no matter that which is given, because we are trusting in God. And through trusting in God, we will know his blessingness. And we will know the work of his blessing in us as we grow and move evermore toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.